Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Michael Pardo discussing view models and a whole bunch of things around application architecture design. Hey, Michael. Hi, Hadi. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. This is on the Thank record for- now because I just asked you before, how are you doing without recording? Now it's on the record. <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing good. <laughs> for everyone out there, his response was exactly the same on the record as off the record. He's doing okay. So, uh, it's actually funny that I think that you pinged me recently when I was look. I was complaining about uh, view models. I was in my trying to write some Android application, and uh, I was looking for like what's the latest tendency. And you pinged me and said, "Hey, have you checked this out?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's it." Was you that pinged me? No. Or yeah, was, well, it, it was it was in a thread and and someone on a, on Twitter and someone mentioned uh, um, all the view model architectures and said, oh yeah, there's also MVU. Yeah, and this is kind of it's kind of a new idea to a lot of people. Yeah, um, but uh, I I've been using MVU for a while and and with some former colleagues, and it was actually someone I had worked with previously who is uh, an Elm user. And who was on my Android Android team previously? He pointed me out to your tweet. Yeah, and um, then you, yeah. The, con- the con- yeah, the conversation, and I said, you know, and then I figured out, and then I saw that you've written this framework and everything, which we're going to cover. So yeah, great timing. Yeah. I decided that it was way more efficient to download uh, an app than to try and create my own. Um, so I, I don't need it for that specific model, but it started yeah. to get me looking into all of these architectures, right? And, and what I would like to do in, in this podcast is go a little bit, like go back a little bit in time um, historically and, and talk a little bit about the different architecture and then what MVU brings to the table. And then we'll talk a little bit about your uh, framework. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. So we're going to start at the like the very, very beginning, okay? Back in the old days, we used to write applications and I can say this because I'm very old. Back in the old days, we used to start write applications. We used to have these, um, you know, forms, whatever you used to call it, and you used to put all of the business logic and everything in there in the form. And then, of course, when it came time to testing, you had issues. Well, actually, that's not true because we didn't used to test applications back then. So we never had issues in, t- in terms of testing. But then at some point, kind of things started to become a little bit complicated and uh, in the in the in the world of the web, or I, I don't even know if this was web because the uh, people might be familiar with MVC or Model View Controller, which originated in Smalltalk, I believe, um, which was basically the idea of trying to separate your concerns. And then this started to be, have an influence on uh, mobile applications and and desktop applications, etc. Right? And we started with what did we actually start with? Like, what was the first ones that came about, the architectural patterns? Yes, yeah, so, so I have a, a similar back, background. Um, before Android, I was I was working at a consultancy. We did .NET Nuke development. So it was the .NET framework, um, like you're saying, web forms, and all the logic is in, in those web forms. Um, and about the time I got into Android, uh, .NET was coming out with the MVP um, framework. Um, and moving away from, you know, MVC. And so in, in Android, um, 
we by default have had you know from the beginning some sort of mz mvc ish uh framework um and then from there things started evolving um to all the other mv star everything uh, yeah yeah so in terms of the android world mvc what was the i mean the model is clear the view was clear so you called everything else the, the controller right which was essentially connecting these two together yeah um <clears throat> I, I i think uh f you know from from the examples that that we saw early on like and so i got in, into android 2008 um th there wasn't any clearly defined architecture and this is actually something that the Android community asked for uh, Google for guidance um, historically as um, some some guidance in, in terms of architecture. Um, and so kind of like a Wild West situation. Um, and so th th there have been articles that come out that describe like the the uh, evolution of patterns. Um, and I've kind of seen it progress the same way too, where it's been like MVC, then um, often MVP. So what's MVVM. the difference between, I mean, let's stick to these two a, a little bit. What is the difference in your eyes between MVC and MVP? Um, so, so I think it's all about who uh, has ownership over the the uh, controller. Um, and the the differences in, in these patterns tend to um, Tend to be focused around who is is the directionality of of of, of data, and uh, whether the controller is is giving commands or receiving commands, and all the the communication is is the key difference between um, these patterns. Would you say that MVC is better suited for certain types for web applications, and MVP was better suited for uh, desktop slash mobile applications? Um, yeah, I, I think people initially just went with what they knew and MVC has been around forever. Um, and I, I think typically it, it worked in this like web forms or this form type of style. Um, and as, as we moved more towards like, uh, modern development with, with, uh, concurrency, and uh, having to deal with like networks, um, people wanted safer ways to do things, um, and so the like the bidirectionality of of communication in, in older frameworks um, tended to, to create synchronization issues, um, and so you know over the years people have been moving towards these unidirectional patterns where data flows one way, and it's easier to reason about. Um, and you can see like through the evolution of, you know, MVC, MVP, MVVM, things trending towards this direction of, of removing the, the, the need to, to synchronize manually. Okay, so now you introduce MVVM. Yeah. Which is what? So uh, that stands for model view, view model. Um, and that is a, it's like a specialization of a, of a pattern, um, uh, called model view uh, 
it's, it's a different MVP. <laughs> I'd have to look it up to to remember the exact model, but it, it was Microsoft's version of of that uh, architecture type um, with data binding introduced, so that the the view is automatically bound to the presenter, and there's no uh, they they remove the synchronization there and, and move it into a framework that you don't have to worry about. So there was their excuse for introducing two way data binding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Because yeah. <laughs> everyone used to, well, I mean, people, I mean, back in the old days, we had two-way data binding, and then it started to become a bad thing uh, because of the issues that it introduced, and then Microsoft introduced this new architectural pattern that they called MVVM, where it was kind of justifying the the two-way two data binding. Yeah, Um I, I don't know if that's if it's a justification for that, but it 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 um it fit well into that pattern, I think. Yeah, coincidentally, like it, it was kind <laughs> of like a back. I mean, I guess that you since you mentioned .NET Nuke, um, you came from the .NET world, right? Yeah. And uh, back at the time of the the whole XAML and MVVM and all of this going around, do you remember WCF? Would yeah, that that was starting uh, to become a thing, like right around the time I, I left, um, you know, the the web world to and moved into Android. So right. I, I, that was around like two thousand eight. Yeah. So um, um, when when Microsoft came out with that, um, they also uh, came out with uh, what they called the four pillars of SOA or service oriented architecture mm -hmm. by Don Box, and uh, they were saying that WCF complies with the four pillars of SOA. And I would be like, well, it would be really strange if it didn't, right? Considering that you're both from the same company. Uh, yeah. Of course, then, you know, then Thomas Earl, which was this other guy around SOA, had 11 pillars. And it didn't matter if it, you know, if it abided by the pillars of Thomas Earl. As long as it abided by our own pillars, it was fine. So, <laughs> so yeah. But anyway, so yeah, Model View, View MVVM came around, uh, which was kind of a derivative uh, adaptation of the MVP pattern, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, did you start to use this in the outside of the Microsoft world? I mean, it, has this gotten adoption in, in the Android world? Yeah, so um, I, I think MVP is, are we talking about MVP or MVVM at this MVVM. point? MVVM. Yeah, I, I, um, I think you can, yeah, you can do MVVM with Android if you use like, the data binding library and uh, MVP architecture. Um, it seems like a pretty popular architecture at this point. Um, I haven't done any polling or looked at any surveys to to determine that. Um, but just anecdotally, it seems like a pretty popular. So, what's the default right now in the in the Android world? Is it MVP? No, I, I'm not sure there there is a default. Um, but if if we're looking at like current trends, I, I think people are moving towards MVI, uh, model view intent. Oh, MVI. Uh, That's another term you've introduced. Okay. What is yes. MVI? <laughs> <laughs> so MVI is model view intent, and this is rooted in uh, a, a web framework called CycleJS. Um, so it's it's all about mapping, um, creating a a a interaction loop between the user and the computer. So uh, a user clicks a view, and that is an intent uh, that is, is sent to um, 
whatever functions are, are set up to, to handle the intent. Um, it's, it's passed through as, as a, an observable stream of actions and that gets mapped to, uh, or intent gets mapped to actions, actions get mapped to new models and then models get mapped to new views. So it's, it's this chain, chain of um, observables that create this loop of interaction between the computer and the user. Okay, so let's stop there a second and, and translate this to me in, uh, in in terms that I could understand and I'm familiar with. So you've done some web development, right? Yes. So we're both on the same page of what model view controller is, right? Yes. Okay. So back in my days, we used to have this controller, which we still do, right? Where, for example, you would have a customer controller and then you would have a URL to that, which is, uh, you know, customers, uh, and that like slash customers, and that will get you the list of customers. Okay. And then yeah. that action would then invoke, uh, you know, some code where you would basically populate the model and then pass the model back to the view. And then the view would render that, that the data. Are we, are we in sync there? Yeah. Okay. Now put in those terms, how exactly is model view intent different to, to model view controller? I mean, isn't the intent really a, a, an abstract concept from the user's perspective that, well, in an Android application or in a web application, I press a button, or I, but that button ultimately is going to invoke an endpoint, is it not? So it, um, it's similar. I, th I think to understand MVI, um, you have to think about it in the context of a, a single page application. Um, this is like a JavaScript framework is, is Cycle.js is where, where this concept came from. So um, there are no like page reloads like an MVC. Um, this is all happening in, in client code. So uh, a user clicks a button, the button sends an event to the stream of events. It's like a, a bus. Um, then the the client code um, accepts this stream of, of user events and it maps that intent to like, or that event to an intent. So I click this button and now we have this types that the user clicked this button. And what it really means in the app is, is they want to make this web, web request. And so that, that get map, gets mapped to um, a new um, state for the page. Um, state would include the button text or whatever you're going to render or whatever you want to keep in memory. Um, so network requests and, and data that comes back from, from API endpoints. And then that model gets, uh, that state gets mapped to a new uh, set of UI elements and gets rendered to the screen. So it, it's similar to an MVC architecture um, in, in some ways uh, that I think uh, like it has elemental pieces, but the, the way it's set up is, is different in that, um, the intent is to create this this loop of of actions going through this this stream um, that gets then gets into turned into new states and then into new views. Now I may um, be wrong here, um, and I probably am one hundred percent wrong. But would you say that MBI makes sense outside of the concept of uh, observables and streams? Yeah. 
I think the <clears throat> it doesn't need to be implemented in streams. Um, I, the framework that MVI arose out of is, is all based on uh, RxJS and and uh, and connecting streams together. Um, but I, I don't think the the basic ideas of of taking an action, modeling it to some sort of message, or mapping it to some sort of message, and then mapping those messages to um, uh, mutations of state, and then mapping that to a new view. That's those are are like concepts shared across um, different unidirectional architectures. I mean, from an abstract point of view, would you still say that? the idea is essentially the same as model view controller. I mean, implementation wise, I mean, I've looked a little bit at the MVI and how it talks about not maintaining state and how you're essentially basically like this endless loop of recreating new states every time there's a request that comes in uh, or, or an intent or whatever that comes in. But, but the idea ultimately is the same. Whereas like with a controller, yes, you have the concept of a controller and then you have entry points and then you have this data that is being manipulated and sent out. Um, here, you just have these functions that one function is basically wrapping another function that's wrapping another function, right? Essentially, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, I, th I think, yeah, the basics are are, are the same. Um, the, one, of, one of the differences, I, I think the, the view and the controller both have the opportunity to um, mutate the model. Uh, and in, MVI, uh, there's there's only one place where you can mutate the model, uh, and that's what uh, there. Usually, you supply a function that that accepts um, messages as an argument, um, and then has uh, must return a a new state based on the previous state and the message that it received. Okay, uh, and and now we go on to the next one, which is the one that you've been working on, right? Which is yeah. MVU. So tell us what MVU is. Uh, so, so MVU is, is a uh, unidirectional architecture um, that was, um, I guess, invented by um, uh, the, the Elm creators, the Elm community. And uh, I think it's Evan Chaplinsky is, is the author of this, well, he's the author of the language, but also of the architecture. Um, so there, there's three pieces to the Elm architecture, um, which is uh, which is model view update. It's, uh, they're this, the same thing. Um, there's the model, which is the, the state of the application, um, a view, which is a way to turn that state into uh, something that the user can see on their screen. Uh, and then the update, which is a way to uh, update the state, the model, based on messages that are passed to uh, the architecture from the user. Um, and a message being a, a button click or any kind of interaction. Yeah. So, yeah, so external. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like a, bu a button click, like uh, if, if you were to set up uh, something uh, to dispatch an action in, in Elm, say a button, um, you would associate a message to pass when that button is clicked uh, in, in the DSL that creates the, the HTML output. Um, and so whenever that button is clicked, it's the message you define is, is 
dispatched through the framework um, and given to your you know reducer function, your update function that takes the old state and the message and figures out how to combine the two to return a new state. Okay. So say for example, you have uh, a state. Uh, this is like the the typical basic introductory the counter uh, example. Yeah, the counter. So so you have a state that is just an integer, uh, and the initial state is zero. You have two messages, increment and decrement. Which could be and button so, clicks, for example, right? Yeah, so, by button clicks. Exactly. So you have you have an an add button and a and a you know a plus and a minus button. When you click on the plus button, a message is dispatched to your update function, um, and that message would be the increment message. And so, uh, and also, you know, when you click the the decrement button, the decrement message is is dispatched to the update function. So you're given the the, the current state, which at this point is zero, and an increment message. And so now you have to handle the message given the old state and return a new state and the obvious implementation is to add one to the counter and then return the new uh, state of one. And, and that's basically the, the core concept of, of this architecture. So you've got a update function where basically the magic happens, right? Yes. And that is passed in the model and the message. Correct. And then it acts on that model and message. So where does it get the current model from in in mvu architecture you know it comes from elm which is a, a purely functional language so you you can't really mutate uh state um so so what the the architecture does is is it it obs obscures that mutation and and kind of hides it from you um but internally what it needs to do is every time you return a new state from your update function it replaces the old state internally with your new state so um the state that you were given in the update function is the state that you previously returned. So you're you're getting the the current state of the app from the last update function with the new message in order to return a new uh, state for the app, which then replaces the old state. So that's the that's the result of the update function, the, the return of the update function. Yes. Okay. So essentially, it's kind of like in the Haskell world where they say you don't update you don't update the world, you return a new world, right? Exactly. Right. Okay. Cool. So then how does this help me as a application developer? I mean, following this MVU model. How does it simplify things for me? Because I mean, and and you know, given my past experiences with MVVM and M and stuff, sometimes it just does feel like an overkill. Is this an overkill or is this kind of actually simplifying things for me? No, I, I, for me, it, it, it really simplifies things. There's, there's this whole class of architectures called unidirectional architectures. The, the first big one, um, and actually there's a, there's a great ar article uh, by Andre Stoltz who uh, wrote CycleJS. Uh, called unidirectional user interface architectures, um, and he goes through like all the major unidirectional UI architectures uh, from the beginning. Flux, which was introduced by Facebook. Um, there's Redux, which I think a lot of people are familiar with, um, and I've you know I've written a Redux implementation in, in Kotlin too. Um, some other ones, but that he also talks about model view update, and then of course model view intent, which is his his uh, 
architecture. Um, but the, the thing that these all share in common is that data flows one way. So it's, it's easy to reason about and, and in your mind see how the state changes over time. Um, whereas when you have a, a bi-directional communication between uh, pieces of your architecture, it's, it's hard to follow that in your mind. Um, so that's, that's the benefit of a, a unidirectional architecture. Uh, and, there, and there are things in, in MVU uh, that I like over the others, um, you know, having used all the others, um, particularly the, the, the safety of uh, the type system that, that the architecture enforces. Um, it, it gives me confidence that I'm, I'm writing things correctly. Um, and by using the compiler to, to, to catch errors before they, you know, make it into the runtime. And of course, the fact that you don't really have to maintain state, you know, essentially you keep returning a new state also helps simplify things, right? Just like you, you create, uh, functions that are free from side effects. Yes, exactly. Okay. So now I'm looking at the the example on your website, which is actually we haven't talked about, uh, which is the framework. Yeah. Um, and the framework is called Oolong. Why Oolong? Uh, so that, that was just like a play on words, I guess. Um, so MVU is, comes from Elm and um, it's known in the Elm community as uh, T, the Elm architecture. So it's the the first letters of the Elm architecture is T, and oolong is a type of tea. <laughs> I love it, which I love. I'm actually drinking a cup of oolong now. Oh, nice! <laughs> it's delicious, and I'm so glad that you went with tea and not mocha, cappuccino, and all of that coffee stuff. <laughs> so, why do I need the framework, though? Like, I mean, from what you say to me, I mean, get looking at the example on your website where I have a where I have a counter. It does feel, and I'm, and I'm going to put this, I'm doing air quotes here. It does feel a little bit like an overkill uh, considering how many classes and, and, and functions and, and properties that I need to define in order to increase or decrease a counter. But of course, you know, this is, this is a demo. Uh, but yeah. it feels still like, okay, you're explaining to me an architectural pattern. Why do I need a framework? So... Um... The, the pattern can be implemented however you like. Um, it's just nice to have uh, one already implemented for you, um, which is Oolong, and it's it's multi-platform, so it works wherever you can use Kotlin. Um, the you're right that it probably does look like a lot of code. I, I mean, I'm just guessing here, like 50 lines of code for this for this counter example. Um, but the architecture is fractal. Uh, in that every component of the architecture is is, is modeled exactly like this, so it sca- it scales really well because any screen, any um, subcomponent of a screen that you want to add follows this exact same pattern, um, and you know branches out fractally, fractally from the root. Um, whereas scaling something like MVC might might uh, be a little harder to maintain. And, and that's exactly why uh, architectures like Flex were invented is, is to handle this, this scaling 
um, problem, especially when you start adding more engineers to your team and and you have a lot of people working on uh, the same code base. Uh, it's it's nice to have these kind of rails to 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 send people down. So if I start a new application, uh, I mean, stepping back again a little bit to understand what your framework provides. If I start a new application and you say to me, okay, Heidi, this is how you do it. You have your model, you have your view, and you have your update. So my model is basically my data class, right? My view yes. is going to depend on on whatever you know technology that I'm using. And then uh, an update is basically a function that I'm going to write to take this model and then return a new one. So all of that aspect of the plumbing of, of taking these functions and, and generating the new model, et cetera, is, the, is what your framework is providing here, right? Yeah, and, and that's really it because um, this is a multi-platform uh, project. And so really we're just concerned about um, maintaining the application state for you because that's, that's kind of the hard part um, and the part that we want to solve. Other, other frameworks like um, Elm also include a, you know, a DSL for, for generating the, the view that gets rendered. Um, we can't do that because we're platform agnostic. Um, all we really want to do is, is pass along this, this state, uh, this immutable state, um, as it changes over time to whatever wants to render it. Um, and it, it works really well um, in frameworks, you know, UI toolkits that are declarative. So for example, Jetpack Compose or Swift UI. Um, and we have examples uh, using both of these in, on the repo. Um, those are declarative UI frameworks. So they just take a state and then render it. Um, so the, the power comes when you have the the full pipeline of you know this functional declarative style of of maintaining state and and rendering it um, and not just from the the UI architecture um, but the, that's a very important piece of it because um, this is where we you know maintain the state and it would be fair to say that I've kind of incorrectly been calling this a framework because from the looks of it it's more just kind of like a library that provide you with certain functionality that you don't have to implement yourself, but it's not binding you to, to any kind of, you know, constraints. Is, yeah. that, is that fair to say? I, I've been struggling with, with whether to think of it as a framework or a library, uh, but I, th I think it leans more toward the library. Um, yeah. From a marketing perspective, go with library. Trust me. <laughs> you'll get more, you'll get more um, uptake with library than framework. So I, I think if, if you set up your your application to manage state like this, um, it can be moved to other architectures like Redux. Um, Redux is is similar to MVU, and it's it was actually inspired by the Elm architecture uh, in part. Um, the reason I like MVU over Redux is that it's a little more strict as far as um, uh, so, for example, messages in in Redux can can be any type. Um, they can be dynamically typed, and um, and in the Elm architecture, it has to be a defined type and, and a, a static type. And um, we can do things 
like do exhaustive checking on, on types using sealed classes um, to make sure that you're handling every single message that comes through. So there are certain things about um, MVU that I prefer over something like Redux in terms of safety and confidence. Um, and that that's why, you know, I moved on from, from Redux and, and started working on this. Would you say that it's an easy library to get started with? I mean, it, you know, take, take me for instance, I have no knowledge of Android development and I'm going to start doing some Android development. And of course I'm lost, right? You know, I mean, yeah, a single, <laughs> ironically, I could have just used yours because I, 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 I kid you not, my, my sample application was a counter. Okay, it was a countdown, but it was still a counter. So it had no ink, it just had deck. And uh, so for a simple application, sure, I could just use, don't do anything, just out of the block, click, drag, whatever. But for, for something a little bit more complex, would you recommend that I try this approach or should I kind of stick to more, I don't want to say proven models because there's no real such thing, uh, but more kind of like uh, Google recommended approaches? Or would this be easy enough for me to understand and actually simplify my life? Um, yeah, I, I, I think the the latter is true. Um, these these concepts are are kind of proven out in the front end web world already. Um, we're kind of just borrowing these architectures um, from the web who have been using them for a while. I think Flux uh, was around in 2014 um, and then started evolving from there. Um, so it, it, it's it's not like there aren't resources that exist. It's, it, it just might be a little hard to, to find the resources. Um, so if, if, if you're coming from the web world, web world to Android, I would argue that um, it might be easier to adopt something like Oolong or Redux or, or Mavericks because um, those concepts have been uh, going around in that community for, for quite a while. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, for people, it is new technologies, new patterns, et cetera, is scary. So especially something that they're not familiar with. But if the aim is to actually simplify it, sometimes we, we worry about that, right? We're like, oh, no, you know, I just want to do the simplest thing possible and I don't want to learn new terminology. But then if that terminology is actually helping you simplify, you should be open to that. Yeah, I, I, and I think if you look at the the reaction to the introduction of React in, in the web world, um, there was sort of a mixed reaction where people were used to the tools that they had and wondering why would I want to use this? Um, and since then, you know, it's definitely proven itself. Um, in a good way or a bad way? Cause I found, um, react and the whole, uh, architecture that they were kind of promoting quite complicated. Yeah, I, th I think it can be. Um, but, but also the, the, the problem there's, so trying to solve for is, is scalability, uh, typically. And um, so if, if you're working on large teams, you know, if, if, if you're doing a one-off project, you, you might want to skip something like this unless you're really interested in it um, or if you want to maintain it long-term. It might be easier just to 
to do something you're more familiar with. Yeah. Um, but these, these larger teams um, at bigger companies are looking for solutions to scalability and, and how to, you know, iterate quickly and get things out. And something structured like uh, MVU or MVI or Redux, these unidirectional architectures really help with that. And they come with the experience of being used in the web for so long um, that it, it, it feels easy to adopt them in Android and um, the, the confidence and, you know, all these other benefits that we've talked about uh, create a compelling story to, to actually go use them. And what's the state of the library right now? Um, currently it's, it's, it's stable. Um, <laughs> I'm using it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know, I know, uh, without calling anybody out, I know, I know some companies are, uh, investigating it. Um, just people I happen to know and, and are, are curious about it. Um, I, I wouldn't say that the, the Elm community is, is large. And so like taking, um, something from that community and translating over to Android, um, will will have a similar, I think, uh, struggle in, in gaining popularity. Um, but as it stands, you know, the library works, it's, it's, I, th I think there's, there's still a lot of things to be explored, like, um, kind of want to wait for for jetpack compose to be stable so that we can really test out the interaction between oolong and that um i th i think uh convincing ios developers to use kotlin and and you know disregard what they know and using swift um and use something like this with swift, swift ui that's that's kind of hard to sell um so I, th I think adoption is, is what it needs right now more than, than anything. The, 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 the core of the library is simple. It's small. Um, it doesn't need to be big uh, or have a lot of code. Um, and you mentioned Android. I mean, I guess that this isn't strictly Android, right? I mean, if I want to do some desktop development, which, yes, some of us still like to play around with that, I could still use this. Yeah, so so the the samples we have up, um, there are samples for uh, Swift UI, and uh, there's a to-do MVC implementation um, for the web. There's uh, uh, the counter example, you know, a bunch of all, all the examples that we have up are are targeted towards iOS, Android, and web mostly. And then there's um, some desktop examples too. So any, anything that Kotlin multi-platform can target, so can Oolong. Cool. And would you say that, like, if I'm starting now a new application that I want to, you know, deploy into production, is it safe for me to use this, even though there's not a lot of adoption? Um, I, you know, I would feel comfortable using this. It's it's such a small piece of of your overall app. Um, it's it's just managing the UI or the UI state, right? Um, and since it's such a, a small piece of that, I and it's and it encourages the the confidence and safety uh, that I'm looking for. Um, I would feel comfortable, yeah, using it in a production app. Um, now, 
the rest of the app is is mainly dependent on the pl platform, right? Um, so I, I don't think this being part of it is is really concerned when when so much more of of, of the app is is platform dependent. Well, we'll put some show uh, links to the show notes on the website, and uh, but for folks listening, you can go to oolong-kt.org. And uh, nice tea leaf, by the way. Very nice. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Nice website. I like that. Did you come up with your design yourself, or was this like a template? Well, this is um, yeah, this is a, a Doxify um, documentation uh, framework, and then yeah, the the tea leaf is my own. <laughs> wow, nice tea leaf. Cool. Great. Well, thanks, Michael, for being on the show and uh, guiding me through all of the MV stars. It yeah, was, thank you uh, for having me. Insightful. Awesome. Thank you.